0: Hello and welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is your host, David Scales, as I'm sure you already know. At the boardroom show in Santa Cruz, I had a conversation with a podcast listener named Chris, aka Clark Griswold Jr., in our Fantasy Surfer Clubhouse, if you follow there. One of my favorite handles, of course. Um, He was talking about a skip fry fish that he had ordered recently, and I'm not sure if these were his words or mine, or maybe it's just a blend of both of our sentiments in hindsight, but my memory of the conversation is that we were likening surfboard shapers to artists, and one of us drew the allusions to famous now-dead painters, Picasso, Gauguin, pioneers of a style, of a technique, synonymous with a given movement, cubism, impressionism. Or maybe it's post-impressionism. Um, anyway, Chris and I were kind of um, commenting that we're at this and just noticing that we're at this really, you know, again, we're at the boardroom shows so we're in the midst of it. But we, we were recognizing that we were in this very unique and finite time in surfboard building currently where these shapers who have pioneered iconic design and construction technique and movements are not only still alive, but they're still working and they're fully accessible to take custom orders. Guys like the aforementioned Skip Fry, but there's also Dick Brewer, Jerry Lopez, Ben Ipa, Rennie Ader, Simon Anderson, George Greeno, Wayne Lynch. The list goes on. These board builders, their legacies are cemented. The history is already written, and it won't change. I think new names will probably be added to this list, but... These guys that I just named, they're permanent icons and they're fully accessible to make you a board. So honestly, any new names that do get added to the list, um, I mean, I'm going to attach a little asterisk to those because realistically, they aren't fully building boards by hand anymore, which doesn't mean that the boards they're building aren't good and that they don't work. i am sh- They're great, obviously. I've ridden a lot of them. It just means that their production numbers are higher. That's why they're not doing them by hand, is they're trying to meet these production numbers. And so I don't think that Skip Fry nor Brewer are making more than 300 boards a year, which, again, drawing comparisons to painters and to collectible art, that limited amount only adds to the collectability. So I'm not advocating for collecting surfboards for resale's sake, necessarily. But I can't help but just be enamored by the thought And that I have access to own a piece of functional artwork that was custom designed for me by a master craftsman, basically, is what I'm amazed by. The notion that these boards will increase in value exponentially is very likely fact. And if you want to know numbers... Uh, or prices, which of course, who doesn't? The rumor is that that Skip Fry twin fin will cost you around $1,500 US, which sounds like a lot of money for a surfboard, but I doubt that it's twice as much as you've paid for a mass produced uh, high performance shortboard that was cut on a machine. You know, I could go to a local surf shop and it's going to cost me seven or eight hundred bucks basically for that board. So I could have a handcrafted custom board from one of these icon pioneers for less than half that. And, and to be honest, skip rise the top of the market for that 1500 bucks. So you could, you can get boards from these guys for really not that much more than you would pay just for a generic board. So it's with this recent epiphany in mind that I introduce a new segment, uh, to today's show, as I've mentioned in recent shows, and I posted a photo of it on Instagram, I've ordered two new surfboards recently, one nose rider longboard and one shortboard kind of quasi fish board. And, um, both boards are being built by Roger Hines. Roger fits the description of all the aforementioned legacy shapers. He actually has 40 years of legacy uh, both in Hawaii and Southern California as well as shaping residencies through Japan, Brazil, Europe. He's worked with Terry Martin, Randy Rarick, Ed Angulo and I mean many, many more people. He references a few of them in this conversation, but He builds every board by hand, and some people build boards by hands, but there's guys that do the shaping, the shaper's name who's usually attached to the board, and then there's a laminator, there's somebody making the fins, there's somebody glassing, or I'm sorry, sanding, there's polishing, like there's different people involved in the process. Roger makes everything not only by hand, but by his hands. He does every step from shaping to glassing to sanding and polishing, Even gluing up the blank uh, with a special stringer, oftentimes, which he did for this parabolic stringered blend of EPS and polyurethane foam that he made a board that he made for me about six months ago, glued that up the stringer by himself. So, not only does he have this kind of cultural relevance and technical expertise to qualify as an iconic artist. But he uses all those skills to produce some of the most beautiful surfboards that you'll see in terms of color work and just contours and curves. The boards look great. The work is beautiful. Anyway, Roger's full history is detailed in episode 91 of Surf Splendor. You can dig that up. But I'm good friends with him, and he's built most of my boards for the past two years. And I realized that he's really kind of an underutilized resource for this show. So I'm going to have him on as a recurring guest, starting with today. I'm going to have him chime in as an expert opinion whenever we need him. Today, I'm going to have him detail the characteristics of this nose rider that he's building for me. It's shaped, and I think that it's actually was being glassed today. So I, I posted a photo of it being shaped. He posted an Instagram video today of it um, glassed, and it looks radical like i'm super excited about it and anyway i think roger will be a great contribution to the show he's feisty he's opinionated he's knowledgeable that said he takes a while to get warmed up whenever the mics get turned on so i think future discussions will showcase more of his true personality and if you've ever met him you know what that is and what I'm talking about and you love it. So in this conversation, he's playing it pretty conservative, but I assure you, I will get the feistiness out of him next time. Anyway, Roger's accessible on Instagram at Roger Hines Surfboards and through his website, RogerHinesSurfboards.com. I'll link to both those things on my Instagram and on my website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. He is located in Seal Beach, California, where he's... Totally accessible, but even if you don't live in Southern California, he'll build you a board. When we recorded this episode at his house uh, two days ago, I believe it was, he was packing five boards to be shipped to South Korea, so geography isn't really much of a barrier. After this conversation that I have with Roger, I'm going to roll right into Surf News with Scott Bass, where we will discuss Dane Reynolds' Stab in the Dark feature, Keanu Singh's Big Win in France. Tyler Wright's first world title, John John Florence's new edit, and everything else that's happening in the world of surfing right now. And then, of course, I'll be back at the end of the episode to sign us off. So without much further ado, here's my conversation with Roger Hines. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Enjoy the show. Are on. I wanted to catch that. The clink of the glasses. <laughs> good. A couple
1: of alcoholics give an interview.
0: Oh. Well, I could tell it's been open um, at, at least for a day. I would say more than a day. Is that incorrect? One day. Okay. But you didn't have a cork in it? Yeah. Could taste a little oxidation. Mm. Uh, what's the grape varietal? Zen? Zen blend? Yeah, it's a red blend. It's actually good. It's, um, yeah, 15.5 Alk. It's a bit of Alk. Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, Petit Verdot, Cab Franc. Where'd you get it? Across the street. Cool. I like the label. Yeah. Samurai label.
1: Well, I went more for the $37 a bottle, and that's how I base it.
0: That's pricey. Yeah. Pricey for Lodi, anyways. All right. Well, cheers, dude. Thanks Same for here. the blast.
1: Great to see you again.
0: Yeah, good to see you. So, uh, mics are on. Um, I'll give you a, a proper intro in post-production. Yeah. And I'm by myself, so I don't have to embarrass you. But right. essentially, came to you and said, hey, man, I want to learn how to nose ride. Mm-hmm. And that's the only information I gave you. Yep. You know that I'm six foot tall, yep. maybe six one. Um, 173 pounds and you've seen me surf. So what did you shape me?
1: I shaped you a 9'4". It was just a one-off template because I wanted it to be real straight. Very rarely do I get somebody that comes to me and says, I want something. I can park a bench up on the nose. And Phil Becker, years ago, um, let me in on his idea of a nose rider was a reverse rocker okay
0: explain what a reverse rocker is
1: they basically take the blank turn it around and glue the rocker up backwards
0: okay so traditionally there's more rocker in the nose than there is in the tail absolutely so reverse rocker means the blank manufacturer does it the exact opposite yep got it no so i did more rocker in the tail than the nose
1: yes okay and his uh, his thought about that was that's what held the board down and it's proven. I mean, I've made some nose riders, you can just park it up there and it just go like crazy.
0: What, what? Do you understand what hydrodynamic principles are at play and why that works? Because it's almost counterintuitive. Like, you would think that if you had more flip in the nose, that would allow you to stand up there with more time before it actually sinks. But in reality, it's almost like the flip in the tail creates a suction or something. Yeah, in the
1: board, you would be surprised. You would think that the rocker is real flat coming out the nose, and it's just a really nice gradual, gradual rocker from from the bend out the nose. And it, um, I did some back in the Clark Foam days. I had some glued up like that, out and I was absolutely shocked of how well they nose wrote. Right. It was right. just going really. Yeah. Um, and then another thing I picked up along the line I think it was Rarick he used to do the uh, the uh, Dewey Weber shop in Hawaii mm-hmm. and recommended that a real straight outline almost ruler edge straight outline really just helps helps nose right and helps uh, everything come together there but on your board what I did was the 98Y I used to begin with was uh, has kind of a rolled bottom to it So I cut the roll out of it. I made it an absolute flat bottom from edge to edge. Okay. And then I went ahead and um, shaped it. But then I ran V because the tail is quite wide. It's 16 and three-quarter tail. And it's a 22 and uh, a half wide. It has an 18-inch nose. So those dimensions really kind of work together as a real straight outline. However, there's a hip about three feet up from the tail that would allow you to pivot and I ran the V from the tail. There's a flat spot, the last four inches off the tail there's a flat spot, but I ran a pretty extreme V about starting at zero and running out almost to three eighths of an inch. Um, all the way to that hip. Okay to lengthened out the sweet spot for you to where you should be able to step back a few cross step back a few times and you're gonna be able to turn that thing from anywhere.
0: Oh really? Yeah.
1: Okay. It it should have a real long sweet spot to it.
0: Um can you explain the tail measurement? You said 16 and what wide? 3 quarter. And where does that get measured? 12 inches. Got it. 12 inches
1: up from the nose, 12 inches up from the tail. And then my, I believe my wide point on this one is maybe 2 inches in back of center because I really wanted to keep that thing straight. Okay. Uh, however, I did want it to be able to turn with ease. Um, that's going to be a I I I made it 3 and eight inches thick for you but then I pulled the rails down. So you're going to have more of a a shortboard-style rail. The thickness of the rail is going to be more like a a ping-pong ball right at the edge.
0: Okay. Um, So you talk about bottom contour being flat with a V on the tail. Is there anything unique about the deck contour?
1: No, it's just rolled. I kept it pretty flat about, I would say, six inches out from the stringer and then just just flopped it over to the edge to where you've got a pretty good flat surface there to walk back and forth on, and then the rails pull down. However, I did use quite a bit of nose concave underneath to create the lift. Got it. And I ran that back. Not really extreme, but I I got it back there quite a ways to where this board should should do a lot of things for you other than nose ride. Um It should get through the water pretty easily. Real comfortable. The rail isn't clunky. It's not thick. You should be able to turn that thing real easy and just get up there and do your business.
0: What's the tail design and what's the fin setup? Single
1: fin. One god, one fin, one country. (laughs) It's a single fin, you knucklehead. (laughs) Dude,
0: it's for the listener. I know what I'm doing. I'm not... (laughs) Um,
1: Glass Uh, glass on? Yeah. Okay. And it... uh, the tail design is just a square tail. Okay. It's just a square tail, and I actually chopped the nose for you, too. Really? Yeah. I chopped the nose off. Is bl- that? Blunt
0: nose. Is that in the photo? I yeah, don't remember yeah, that in the yes, photo. yeah. Man, maybe it yeah, I
1: Yeah, I blunt the nose for you. You know, G&S used to do that in the 60s. That was a pretty cool look. I know a bunch of the younger guys are doing it now. It's a good look. Yeah. It, it doesn't is. change anything except for kind of gives it a, wow, what's that?
0: Yeah. Um, what design elements or what adjustments did you make in this board that are specific to me or are there any
1: yeah it's a one off I just basically I've made you I don't know how many boards a few and surfed with you quite a bit to I know uh, you're going to get busy on anything I put under your feet so I didn't want to just put a slug under it I wanted you to be able to nose ride but I also wanted the board to turn and uh, get through the water real easy. Okay. Um, again, the um, I'm just implementing the ideas of of the guys before me, and I'm just channeling that. Um, a lot of respect for those two guys. I mean, Phil Baker. I mean, how many boards did he shape in his lifetime? A hundred and some thousand. It's crazy. Is that the number? Yeah, from what I understand, he. I don't know that anybody can catch him because he's did like a hundred. and...
0: 40000
1: or That's insane. I know. And i that's just what I've heard. I'm not sure. Yeah. He's easily accessible in Hawaii. I well, stayed,
0: What was your experience with him, or how did you get that Super nice
1: guy. I was staying at the pipeline uh, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago. I was, I was there for a couple of weeks surfing, and I was staying uh, at Martinson's house, Mark Martinson's. and. He had a friend who was staying next door to me, so he was there visiting, and uh, we were making small talk, maybe 16, 17 years ago. Really nice guy, really good shaper, and uh, yeah, I remember one thing we were sitting there watching the waves, and uh, I remember we were talking about something. He goes, "You know, I could teach you how to shape a board in 20 minutes." And I go, "Jesus, <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to know about working that hard. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half is pretty fast enough. But you know, he's, he he pushed around a lot of boards in his lifetime. Yeah. A lot of respect for that guy. And Randy, too. I mean, he was there in the beginning, and and I kind of get my notes from people like that. Yeah, And I try to implement that, and I've, I don't come up with stuff on my own. I don't know a lot of people in this day and age that really do, but I just kind of take what, what's been given me and move forward with it.
0: Well, you've shaped enough boards that I would think that you've develop some of your own
1: yeah uh, but right i mean to, i know but to take credit for a, a nose rider that's that's a reach
0: well let me okay then i need to know how to ride the thing because i've ridden a few long i mean i have a few long boards and i've ridden a few additional and uh, but they've always been hand-me-downs and they've always been beaters like i haven't really ridden a new one mm-hmm. um and i certainly haven't ridden one that was designed for me what do i do man how do i nose ride
1: you're just going to walk you? right up there. This thing is going to be so, so stable for you just to walk around on.
0: I've seen you do it. It's just I've seen gonna, you cross-stepping.
1: It's it's going to be so easy All right. for you. You're just going to walk right up there and park it.
0: Did you see that Instagram I tagged you in a week or so ago with a guy nose knows riding? Yeah. Dude, I, that's where my inspiration came from is Instagram, watching uh, young guys, too. You know, yeah. like young guys who exclusively ride longboards. Just... It looks so much fun.
1: I'll tell you. Well, since I've been working down in San Clemente glassing during the week and and um, I surf uh, that area in the in the afternoon quite a bit, there's so many good young guys out there that have just the flow of the '60s. They're not in the '90s and 2000s. The longboards were more of a A nine-foot shortboard type of deal. All the world contest, Rusty, and all those guys were, you know, surfing just unreal. But they are surfing like shortboards on a nine-foot longboard. Right. And now these young guys, they're just... It's so neat to watch the boards go through the water and how they just kind of style around. It's really cool. I don't
0: don't think I told you this, um, but I mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago. I borrowed a longboard from somebody when I was surfing and it was the most it was the worst surfboard experience i've had in a long time Mm -hmm. and um it was just awkward because it was like a two plus one like high performance longboard i think is what it was intended to be sure and it was eps foam and it was like the board wouldn't really find trim Mm -hmm. so then i would try to kind of rip on it but Mm -hmm. it was so long that i couldn't quite rip on it you know Mm -hmm. and i'd lean into a cutback and it would kind of swing around pretty quick but if i couldn't quite bounce off the phone quick enough to redirect it Mm -hmm. so it just had these weird squirts of speed when i really didn't want it to and then wouldn't quite do what i wanted to when i wanted it to it was the most bizarre thing ever and i got out i got out of the water and i was like i was was i ripping or was i looking like a kook like i don't know what even happened and maybe I just needed multiple sessions on it but then I I kind of I talked to Scott about it on the air and he was like oh that's kind of my the dreaded trying to be everything design you know where you don't just commit to one thing you try to be everything and then you fall nowhere basically
1: what I found is that a single fin forces you to smooth your style okay and I don't know that that's gospel but for what I do and what I've done in my life, that seems to be the norm. That if you ride a single fin, if you smooth out your style, the board will run because you're turning off of the rail and not the fins. A three fin, you're pushing the fins. A four fin, you're pushing the fins. A single fin, you're using a lot of the rail yeah. to turn that board, and that's why you get that real smooth look that that the young guys are achieving now. That was uh, pretty common in the '60s. Except for me, because I started surfing in the mid-60s. And, man, it didn't come together for me until uh, I was telling the story the other day. Paul Strow was here. And, um, I mean, geez, he can ride anything from that era or any era. And I happen to have some boards from 69 and 70 alongside the house that I'm shipping to Hawaii for uh, Randy Rarick. So and I was telling them, look, this is when it all came together for me, was in 69, because I rode the, the long boards from late 65 till, you know, the down rail came in, and, and uh, you know, the transition boards had kind of a down rail in late 68. But in 69, 70, that's when it all changed for me, because I actually had a board that I could ride and I could see myself getting better and better. But okay. these guys nowadays, they can just ride anything. They're such good surfers and good athletes for that matter. But I'll have to show you these boards after we're done here. They're pretty cool. Okay. I'm going to send them to Randy. But, yeah, it um, I need, because I'm heavy on my front foot, I need an edge in the tail. I cannot ride a 50-50 rail board. If I went out there today... After serving for 50 years, I cannot ride a 50-50 rail board. Yeah. I just do not have that ability. Okay. But, um, well, I can ride it, but I couldn't ride it to where anybody would want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really amazed that uh, everything's kind of come full circle, you know?
0: It really has. Um, so I'm going to recap the details. Nine eight wide was the blank. Yeah. With reverse rocker. Reverse rocker. So the 98Y made by U.S. Blanks, obviously. um, The Y indicates that it was a blank that was designed by Rennie Yader originally. Mm -hmm. Um, What density foam is it?
1: I use red. Okay. Because um, most everything I do is color work, transparent color. And I find that the cell structure is the strongest and the best look for what I do with my color work. Got it. I used to use a lot of green, and um, I think that the red works best for me. Okay.
0: So for the listeners, the red density is a little bit lighter density um, foam. Mm -hmm. What stringer? That one has a three eighths bass. Three eighths basswood, and then um, nine foot four long is the final shape. A uh, v- little bit of V in the tail, single fin, glass on? A lot of bit of V in the tail. A lot of bit of V in the tail.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's cool. a lot of board for, for you, and I want you to be able to move it around
0: without forcing it.
1: All right. Cool. And that really, that allows you to roll it over pretty easily.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, I have 10 feet of clearance in my car, so that'll just barely squeak in there, dude. <laughs> I'll haul
1: it down there for you if it okay. doesn't. sweet.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Great
1: seeing you again. Thank you. All right.
2: Down the Line Surf Talk Podcast. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you. It is Thursday, October 20th, and it is a gorgeous Santa Ana day in Southern California. The year 2016, and um, we've got a big show for you today. We've got the uh, Portugal WSL event that's happening. We've got the Andy Irons trailer came out. Um, what else is going on? I'm missing. That's coming up. Quickie
0: Pro France ended. Keanu Singh Set so? the world on fire. Wow. And Tyler Wright won her first world title. So oh, yeah, that guy shreds. The Santa Cruz boardroom show happened.
2: That guy well, I shreds. shreds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
0: was just making fun. God, you know what?
2: It's surfing, not Syria. <laughs> um, and right now, we've got 10 or 15 minutes with Jim Kempton, who's sat down in the chair here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center Library, and he's here to talk. To us about the ninth Annual Gala Fundraiser at the California Surf Museum in Oceanside. And This year, they're honoring surf legend Nat Young, and a really interesting thing, they've decided to take one of Nat's boards and have three shapers replicate it. Sounds quite familiar. <laughs> Where would you, did you get such a great idea? <laughs> anyway, let me welcome Jim Kempton, of course. Uh, Jim... You might not know this, Jim is a former editor of Surfer Magazine, yep. and um, a guy who knows the history of the sport, perhaps as good as most, if not all. So Jim, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. And nice Jim, to be here. Jim's been on the show before, a great guest. And So Jim, um, you just sat down, you're in the hot seat, tell us about the ninth Annual Gala Fundraiser. Tell us about Nat Young. I don't really, this is interesting, we'll get to this in a minute, but... Nat Young, 1966 world champion here at Ocean Beach in San Diego, right? And we're celebrating the,
3: what is it, 40 years, 50 years? 50th anniversary. Where we came up with this idea was uh, we, you know, as you know, do exhibits at the California Surf Museum. And we're always looking for, for purpose with our exhibits and connections with our exhibits. And we thought that the 50th anniversary of the 1966 World Championships would be a really worthwhile thing to do because uh, what happened at that contest was sort of a seminal event in surfing history. And that was to say that for the first time, uh, surfers, uh, starting with Nat Young, who won the contest... Began surfing in what is now called the radical style. Um, Before that, you could think of surfing as being uh, something that people rode waves horizontally. And what when when uh, Nat came, he rode waves vertically and that changed the way people thought about how people performed on waves but more importantly because he won the world titles it legitimized that style in a way that nothing else ever could have so it was a seminal event in that in that sense and he was pitted against David Nueva a Californian uh, who was at the time the finest nose rider in the world and considered by most people as the best surfer in the world so that upset uh, that no one expected was something that was newsworthy, but beyond that became something that was, you know, a, a, cha- a sea change in the way people rode waves.
2: <clears throat> right. So um, in Ocean Beach, San Diego, <clears throat> Nat went out and shredded, and the other guys got on the tip and nose, ride, nose rode, I guess I could say. And um, the judges deemed that the shredding was better than the nose riding. And um, certainly that is interesting. Uh, Nat Young came with this board, Magic Sam, which I believe had some hips to it. I actually used to have a Magic Sam surfboard that Donald Takayama made me. Oh, uh, I remember really getting it and going, "I want a nose rider, man!" <laughs> and, and Donald just kind of said, "Hey, you know, this is what you're riding. You're on my team. I'm giving you this. I've seen you surf. This is what you're going to ride." And uh, but so back to '66. Uh, Nat Young ripped and shredded on this Magic Sam surfboard and sort of set into it was the 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 idea of ripping and shredding in the competition format was moving forward certainly and um and uh, you know i i want to say okay how did nat get this idea did midget bring this idea i mean this idea of ripping and shredding was purely an australian thing
3: well uh, interestingly enough (laughs) interestingly enough as as hybrid uh full circle acts happen um, he had seen George Greeno right. and Greeno had gone down with his spoon and uh, they had been watching him uh, um, he and McTavish had been watching uh, Greeno surf on his kneeboard which allowed him to put himself into a, the pocket and into steep radical sections and do maneuvers that longboards just couldn't do at the time and so their, their notion was first how do we make boards that will do that but It, just watching that made them realize that there was a different way of approaching riding a wave. And so what, what's interesting about it is Magic Sam, most people think that that was the advent of the shortboard. But the reality was that Magic Sam was 9.2. It was not a, it was not a board that was a shortboard, but it was ridden the way people rode shortboards. So that was the, you know, that was the sort of the key element to it was that it was the it was the approach to wave riding, and and uh, Magic Sam was exactly that.
0: Who are the shapers that are going to be replicating <clears throat> the board?
3: So I'm going to actually let my friend uh, here, Brian. Uh, uh, Williams, just talk a little bit about this uh, for a moment and uh, and, and tell well, us I've about it. Well, I've got it right story. here. The, oh, it's okay. right
2: in front of me. <clears throat> it says here that the shapers are Gary Linden from Linden Surfboards, yep. Tommy Moss from Hawaiian Pro Designs, and Bill Stewart from Bill Stewart Surfboards, yep. and the blanks donated by U.S. Blanks. So, these three guys are replicating... Uh, The Magic Sam. And then the boards are then,
3: are they bid on? Yes. So what they'll do is those boards will come up at the live auction. That will be essentially our live auction. And so those boards will be boards. Obviously, they they can either be wall hanger art or they can be boards that you can ride either way. But they will be uh, auctioned off at the live auction at the California Surf Museum Gala uh, on the 29th of this month. Just a little less than uh, two weeks from now. And who made the original Magic Sam? Did Nat shape that board? He did. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And of course... Where is that board? Is it gone? It disappeared from... It, this is a long and a hilarious story. It disappeared from harbor surfboards of which... Uh, which, which is a sore point uh, for Rich Harbour, who was probably one of the most meticulous guys in yeah. the world. And yet it disappeared from there, and that's always teased about it. But, uh, but anyway, it, it, it's long gone. Okay. Um, there was a board that we have at the, uh, at the California Surf Museum that is a, uh, a replica already that was shaped by uh, Jed Knoll. But now these three really famous surf, uh, surf shapers are coming in to shape uh, this board, and I have no doubt that all of them will do a spectacular job.
2: I thought that Donald had, a, like I said, I wrote a board that was this Nat Young model that was under Do- Donald Takuyama's, um sort of, I don't know, t- not tutelage, but it was a board that Donald made. And I don't know if it was Magic Sam, but it had like a, I want to say it had uh, maybe a dinosaur or no? Does that ring a bell? No. Hmm. Anyway,
3: not on that board, but you know, they were good friends. Yeah, and and, and Donald was a was a meticulous shaper. Uh, and knew and knew every nuance of of the line of a board and how it would work. So no doubt uh, he did do that. And so um, then the other
2: the other person, Joyce Hoffman. I guess we're going to be honoring Joyce Hoffman as well. So it's to honor Nat Young and Joyce Hoffman on the 29th. Um, and it sounds like a good time, the October 29th. You know what's really what's really
3: fun? Oh, by the way, I just wanted to say. Um, uh, as usual, I, I, uh, I speak before I'm, before I'm thinking. The board was 9-4, not 9, nine two, just to be exact about yeah. it. And Gordon Woods helped uh, shape that board with Nat. So oh, okay. don't want don't to leave anybody's credit out with that. But right. certainly that was Nat's sort of uh, uh, vision of what he wanted. And he got it, and he won the contest with it. With regards to Joyce, you know, Joyce, and this is an interesting uh, fact as well, uh, you know, Joyce was the dominant surfer of her time in the women's division. There was really nobody until Margot uh, Olberg came along that would even, co- you know, compare to Joyce. And she won this contest handily. Uh, and uh, so we just felt like it was it was time to recognize one of the true giants of the early surfing modern era. And uh, and, and so both of them, ha- in many ways, sort of redefined the way people thought of surfing.
2: Yeah, um, I believe Joyce was a Del Mar lifeguard at one point. I've seen she the was a very first she was the very
3: first she was the very first woman lifeguard there. Wow. Yeah, female lifeguard, the city there. of Del
2: Mar. I've seen it when I worked there, her picture was up there. And yep. Um, of course, the famous Hoffman family, right? Yep.
3: Um, what else do we need to touch on? Well, uh, there's a there's a few things that that uh, are are going on there. We also have um, a, a number of the finalists from that contest who are coming. Uh, which yeah. should be a really fun thing. We tried to get them all, but, you know, some of them are, are gone, are the you know, midget. Well, uh, uh, Jock Sutherland got second. Yeah. Will Jock ca- be there? Jock will be there. Okay. In fact, Jock is planning to introduce Nat. Okay, cool. So that'll be fun. They know one another from, you know, years and years. Yeah. And, you know, you can't find someone more respected in, in the surfing world than Jock. And Jock actually asked me if he could do that cool. when I invited him. So it's, that's going to be really fun. Corky got second. Uh, Corky is in uh, uh, Mexico and unfortunately just can't get up here huh. uh, um, during that time. But uh, but his but he's sending a speech and a little clip that we're going to run, so that'll be fun. Um, then the uh, the the uh, fourth person that uh, was uh, in the uh, um, gig was um, um, Steve Bigler. Uh, All right, Bigler and, will be there. So Big, Bigler's right. going Big, to Bigler's planning on being there, and then. Uh, um, uh, Midget Fairley was in, in the finals as well so right. um, those guys are all going to be uh, you know I mean of course Midget, Midget is not going to be here pass. he's right. pass um, and Corky can't make it but otherwise we also have David Nueva coming you know because David was eliminated from the finals but one of the most memorable things in that contest was the 10-second nose ride that he got that actually made the headlines um, because that's what everybody was expecting at the time, and a 10-second nose ride, as you know, is a pretty mean feat. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> um, so he will also be there, and we're going to honor David. Uh, you know, David is one of those people who uh, was expected to win uh, both, both the 19... 19- uh 66 contest and the 1972 contest a span that you know is pretty impressive when he was riding a longboard on one and a fish on the other and uh and and in both cases had a spectacular performance so um we're also going to have you know paul strau is going to be there um um, skip fry is going to be there you know lots of memorable legendary surfers are going to be attending it but the fun part is going to be that we have these uh these finalists from the contest
0: we like a lot of our listenership actually isn't in Southern California in San Diego. How do people get involved? Um, who are listening to this show that want to participate? Maybe
3: even bid, or can they follow on social media website? They can. Uh, they can. What what we have up is uh, is is an ability to bid uh, in advance and say buy at this price. Got it. So if someone wants to do that, they can. They can't live bid. We've done that before, but it but it's really it's really complicated because if someone loses connection. Or you know they don't hear the guy that's waving that's listening to it you know it just can create complications that we didn't want to you know we didn't want to in in you know entail so but they can but they can participate and uh, and of course you know we 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 all are in the same in, in the same business of of, uh, of preserving the sport so they can contribute to all of us how do and, they follow
0: uh, and do that
3: so they can go to the web, the website if you just type in surf museum. Uh, our website will come right up. And that's sur- it's surfmuseum.org okay. or California Surf Museum. Any of those things that you type, it will come up. It will tell you all about the, the event, where, how, when, etc. You can buy tickets, any of that sur- sort of stuff. And you can see all the things that are happening there. We have fantastic food um, from, a, from, from a restaurant uh, called Hello Betty's, which is in the hotel. We're holding it at the Marriott Hotel in Oceanside. On the, on the Sunset Terrace. So it'll be a beautiful sunset. It's all open air. Um, you can watch the sunset, eat a great meal, have it, the silent auction. Everyone hobnobs, and then we award. Well, you know, Tower people. 7 is playing. So Tower
2: 7, you can't go wrong with Tower 7. No, you can't. Miles. My buddy, Miles Kenny, I went to high school with him. I've been to many Tower 7 rock and roll jam festivals, and... Um, <laughs> that alone is worth the price of admission to go see Miles, well, because that you. guy is a talent. He is. And he's this guy's his great bass talent. player and his drummer. It's a power trio, and they rock and roll in, a, in the true sense of the word. You will hear, he'll play X, and he'll play Johnny Cash, and he'll play Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he'll play some Dick Dale. He'll yep. cover it all, and this guy knows how to move the Stratocaster around. So Tower 7, wow.
0: Is he named after a surf spot?
2: Yes. <laughs> Tower spot? Seven, Torrey Pines State God. Beach no longer right. exists. It actually was wiped out by the eighty-two, eighty-three El Nino. God. But, it, but used really, it used to be a
3: really, used to be quite a good spot. But, sort of. Well, like, I don't know about that.
2: North, north side of Blacks. It's my stomping grounds. Tower Seven.
3: Awesome.
2: Um, yeah. So thanks so much, Jim, for coming in and telling <coughs> us about the ninth annual gala honoring Nat Young at the California Surf Museum, October 29th, twenty sixteen surfmuseum.org get your tickets learn more about this
3: and we know it's going to be a great event (laughs) thank you you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook too to to get updates uh, you know ongoing through it but uh, thank you very much and I really appreciate it hope everyone can uh, can make it or follow us here's my final question Hillary (laughs) or Trump oh Oh, gosh wait wait (sighs) wait (laughs) wait I wanted I just let me me put it this way to you okay the gala's gonna be great I know it's great a lot of people have told me it's great and we're gonna make the gala great again
0: (laughs) terrific actually
2: good
3: answer
0: (laughs) All right. so thanks guys appreciate it
3: thank you we're back okay yeah so
0: good so um, I'm just I've been so confused this whole time Matt Young's only 19 years old dude How is he around in the 60s it's bizarre
2: and they're honoring him
0: I know it's crazy travel
2: (laughs) of course I want I think that the Santa Cruz Nat Young on the WSL was named after this Nat Young I believe or was it the pitcher Oh, I don't know what would there's a there's a baseball pitcher named Nat Young right oh I don't know I'm not sure
0: I thought it was I don't I have no idea to be honest um or which story is true, I'm not sure. Here's what I was going to ask you. You're claiming that they're ripping off your um, icons of foam. I shit, didn't claim idea? that. I, you I just, did claim it. I just suggested
2: then, that it was awfully interesting.
0: It is interesting, but my question is, Uh-oh. did you actually invent that, or did you get it from somewhere else? Um, I have a feeling well, that concept's been around before, even though I don't know.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. I'm not claiming that I invented anything. Let's um,
0: claim it. Let's well, roll the tape. Roll
2: the tape. The, the story is and it's not a story what happened was is that chris christensen and i were on sabbatical on a surf trip in australia and we were talking about the best way to honor a shaper and the best way to honor a shaper is to get one of his classic boards and have some other guys try to replicate it and hmm. so that's kind of how that went down
0: i didn't know that i didn't no. know christensen was involved in the kind yeah,
2: of yeah i see I, I, I was i was it was like 2006, right? Or 2000? 2000, yeah, 2006. We were in Australia, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to do this thing." You know, I'm going to bring all the manufacturers together. We're going to celebrate the surfboard. You know, it had been a, about a year since the Clark Foam closure, or less than a year, and there was a lot of turmoil in the industry. And and I just felt like, look, we need to all kind of come together as one, and not let you know the surfboard shaper and the surfboard industry quickly you know fall apart which is there was a lot of anxiety around what happened after the clark foam closure and and i just felt like we need to celebrate the surfboard and the guy that builds the surfboard because that's really the root of our culture Mm -hmm. at the end of the day nobody cares what clothes like we're like for instance this gala they're replicating a surfboard not the clothes the guy wore right you know what i mean that's what the surf culture is all about. Surfboards are the philosophical icon of enduring youth. And when you put one under the arm of a nine-year-old boy or a 90-year-old man, there's a sparkle in their eyes. And it's due to what the surfboard represents. It represents freedom, individuality, so forth and so on. I could, point, I, I could go on a soliloquy here, but I'll step back.
0: I couldn't agree more. And that's a perfect segue into recapping the Santa Cruz boardroom show.
2: Yeah, the Santa Cruz boardroom show Nick Palandrani. Yeah. I think I said that wrong. I've been saying his name wrong forever. It's Drani, right? Palandrani. You
0: used to say Drini and then no, you're not went Drini, far it's either drain. Drani, and now you're taking it No, back it's draw knee. To told me.
2: Nick told me that it's like you draw a knee, palindrani. Right. So Nick Palandrani from Santa Cruz Source Surfboards won the John Mell Icons of Foam shape off, of course, honoring John Mellon, presented by U S Blanks. And um, wow, what a great show and what a great event. It was so much fun to see those guys and gals um, put their heart and soul into replicating that really interesting twin keel fish with the nose channels. It was a really cool board. and
0: Totally interesting design. I mean, very different than anything else that we've seen replicated in the icons of foam previously. And I felt like a curveball, like... When I saw the board, I was like, whoa, what's that?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it a kneeboard? I think it is a kneeboard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was a kneeboard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one that you could probably stand up and have a lot of fun surfing.
0: I would stand up on it, but yeah. I was not sure what the original design was at the time that it was made, or like, yeah. if it was intended for kneeboard. Because I know John obviously does a lot of kneeboarding.
2: Um, and Danny Hess uh, won best of show. There's three best in show, actually. It was Danny Hess for this gorgeous Redwood gun that he made and Steve Coletta for an incredible uh, Rhino Chaser uh, Polly poly Blank just a gorgeous Steve Coletta Northern California gun and Mike Wallace from Iconoclast Surfboards made a finless surfboard which caught the attention of the, the uh, Best in Show Judges Selection Committee so uh, those three were Best in Show and Nick Palin drawny the winner
0: I I had a great time at the event Um, it's smaller obviously than the San Diego version of the show but I actually liked that a lot about it it was kind of like there's so many people at the San Diego show you never see the same people twice whereas this it's just like all of us hanging out throughout the whole weekend together you know um I love me some Steve Coletta, too, man. That guy's a cool cat. He's my favorite, dude. Yeah,
2: he's a sweet guy. Like,
0: I met him five years ago and hadn't seen him for maybe four years. And when I saw him more recently, it was like he remembered me entirely. Like, we were best friends. Of course, I remembered him because he's such a – he's an important figure in surfing, but also he's memorable. Yeah, and, but I didn't think that he'd remember me, you know. But that no. wasn't the case. He was just like, "David, bro, I haven't seen you in so long. Great to see you!" And like, hugs, and like, immediately goes into surfing stories. And I was just like, "Dude, I love this guy."
2: Yeah, he's it, the best. yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, and a big part of Santa Cruz surf culture. Yeah, and of course, his son Kalu was in the shape off as well. So Kalu, classic, super, dude. super sweet guy, super yeah. cool guy. Yeah.
0: And by the way, Steve's still surfing. Steve's like. 67, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, no, he's
2: into it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he's still writing a shortboard, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, a high-performance shortboard. Yeah. The dude's gnarly. Yeah. He was saying, like, it's... He was actually educating or enlightening me, saying, everybody tries to suggest... Like oh, as you get older, ride more foam, get on longer boards, and he's saying it's actually harder to ride more foam because you got to duck dive that thing. And that's it's true. Harder to turn and all these, true. He's like, I'm going to end up trying to do a turn on a big board that's going to end my career, whereas on a short board I can duck dive easily. I can kind of maneuver the thing really easily. There's
2: a lot of truth uh, to that. Yeah, I there is know, a lot of truth true. to that.
0: It helps if you're only 150 pounds, like he is probably. You know, right,
2: to, <laughs> right.
0: To ride a shorter board, but
2: yeah. Well, it was a great show. I mean, there's nothing but good things came out of it. So we're pretty excited about the Santa Cruz boardroom show.
0: Cool. So is the plan kind of every five years as it's been? or is
2: um, I don't know. We Maybe we'll do it again next year. I, I don't, we don't, you know, the, the powers of be that helped me run that show, um, well, I've been so busy since the end of that show.
0: I haven't even had time to catch up. Uh, um, busy recapping it or just busy moving on to the next thing?
2: Yeah, just busy with life, you know, uh, moving on to the next thing. Um yeah, I've just been swamped. So I haven't given much thought to what's next for Santa Cruz. And my staff hasn't really, we haven't really got together and decompressed on on what to do there. But we are, of course, excited about the San Diego show coming up in May because we're honoring Al Merrick. So yeah. that's probably going to be one of the biggest. I mean, we are so thrilled and so humbled to be able to honor Al Merrick at the boardroom in uh del mar in may it, it's gonna be a really cool one you know it's a
0: good get man yeah geez yeah
2: we're stoked so it's
0: originally from encinitas right that's
2: right san Diego high encinitas. school graduate
0: i mean because you don't think about that he's so uh synonymous with santa barbara that i i, I didn't learn that until recently that he was it you know yeah surfing encinitas or surfing swamis and grew up in encinitas before they built the five freeway there yeah
2: crazy San Diego High School alum yeah Al Merrick he will be our honoree in 2017 it'll be the 10 year anniversary of the surfboard show and uh, so it's kind of a perfect um, you know synergy here Mm -hmm. with Al and with the 10 year anniversary
0: awesome well there's a lot that we need to discuss yes Um, I can see you have copious notes in front of you (laughs) I took a photo of that. I'm going to post it on Instagram to shame you a little bit, because that is so hilarious to me. Um, for the listeners who aren't on Instagram, he just has two words on his notepad, Nat Young.
2: <laughs> well, speaking of that, here's my, I've got a little bit of um of a Nat Young story, okay. if you will. And okay. um, when I first started working at Surfer Magazine as the online editorial director, this is like... 2000 the year 2000 maybe was the
0: internet even around
2: it was barely around like people still had dial-up okay. and um nat was involved in a situation at his home break home break and gary right where there was another local guy that he'd been surfing with for decades that they just didn't get along and this guy was a salty dog who was known to be aggressive and however it played out i don't even really know but there was a fist fight on the beach and and Sadly, you know, Nat sort of got the worst of that. And as a young, naive, ignorant, egotistical, uh editorial director at Surfer magazine, I put out a headline on the website which wasn't very um journalistic. It was and, and it was sort of mean spirited towards Nat Young. And so um more than anything, I think I wanna I wanna vocalize um you know that that i'm sorry about doing that and i've spoken with nat young many many years ago about this
0: what was the headline
2: it was something like nat young gets his ass kicked or something <laughs>
0: something it was
2: really not cool it, what, what it was was it wasn't cool it was a <laughs> it was insult to injury it was Never really mean. lame it was really lame and i i apologized to nat then and i apologize to nat now because this guy is a full-on um you know a huge uh Icon of the sport. And, um, and you know, funny, you know, what happened was Drew Campion, the former editor of Surfing Magazine, called me up. He's like, dude, what are you doing on your website? Like, you, this is stupid, you know, and he kind of talked me off the ledge and made me realize what an asshole I was. And so, um, I just wanted to put that out there that
0: you're still feeling bad about it.
2: Well, I want, I I want to, um, show the listeners that there is room for growth, right? And, and yeah, it's you know, funny. It's, dude. You can't say you can't make enough amends of on a situation like this because it was really n- uncalled for. Yeah. What I did,
0: I I cringe sometimes when I think about emails that I've written and sent late at night without editing or sleeping on it, or certain things that I've done. Maybe even on this show, probably.
2: Probably know? every time you give me grief, you should probably pause.
0: I should. <laughs> well, I know that once or twice I've said things that we, after the fact, I can remember one instance in particular where. After the mics went off, you were like, hey, dude, I think we should edit that part out. Just that one sentence, I think, might have been a little bit egregious.
2: Oh, yeah. Do you mean we edit this? Do we edit this? We rarely You're, do. You can't so, let the listeners know what's going on the, behind the, the curtain. The, the
0: no, I mean, there's there. we rarely, rarely do, but there has been one or two things. And yeah. in hindsight, I was glad you did because I can remember other times in my life where I, you know, yeah. I'm still cringing over things that I've said or written. And yeah. So yeah, good on you, man. And I, I'm sorry to see that you're still feeling a little bit of. Uh, remorse
2: oh no, no, I'm you. not. I don't know if remorse is, but I just wanted to tell that little Nat Young story. Yeah, just to just, yeah, just to to, um, Maybe yeah, to makes. do my part to make it, try to make it right.
0: Well, we've. Spent 30 minutes talking about surfboards, and I think that that actually segues and dovetails nicely into the stab in the dark feature. That oh my stab god! And rising does. Um, this is the second year that they've done it. The first year was with Julian Wilson, this year was with Dane Reynolds. The idea is that they give a world class surfer 13 anonymously shaped surfboards and send them on a surf trip and the goal is to identify which is the best surfboard out of these 13. And it is a flawed concept. Obviously it's not there you can't put science, rigorous scientific controls on these things to to definitively identify which is the best surfboard. But that's also the beauty in it is just hey man send this guy out and just what what's his impression of the which is the best surfboard. And what I liked about this year's version of the stab in the dark is that they actually fessed up to those, um, flaws in the model.
2: the Subjective nature of the beast. They basically
0: said, Hey, is that, does this idea have flaws? Yes, it does. But that's the beauty of it. You know, it still doesn't, um, negate the concept. Like the concept is still really interesting, I think. And so, I mean, I'm going to shut up for a second. What were your thoughts on the piece? Well, you know, Paisel, right? won
2: the he won. Paisel shaped the board that Dane Reynolds most fell in love with. Yeah, and um, that's kind of cool, you I know. And I too. think Dane Reynolds is a really great. Um, what what would be his role? The t- test pilot. Yeah, test pilot. Thank you, because. He sort of seems to be in a a gray zone regarding what boards he rides now. Like, does he ride for Channel Islands? He does. He's
0: ridden Channel Islands pretty much his whole life. I mean, he grew up in Ventura and Channel Islands. But I wasn't sure if he was still
2: involved. He
0: is. Channel Islands, by the way, has gotten, I mean, they've lost a bit of their team. I don't know if they've gotten rid of them or what, but like Taylor Knox doesn't ride them anymore. Kelly Slater doesn't ride them anymore. Rob Machado, to some degree, does and doesn't. He shapes his own boards. He rides a lot of Firewires. So, Dane does still ride them, but I will speak from... uh, I mean, this is not rumor. Even in the past few years, where Dane is, quote, officially on Channel Islands, I know that he's been testing other boards at the same time. And he gets boards from other shapers doesn't put their label on them, so he'll be writing blank boards, or I don't know, maybe he puts Channel Island stickers on them, but I know that he's been experimenting. Because, by the way, as a professional athlete, you should. You should know what else is out there, you know? So um, I know that Dane's been doing that for years, but in this feature, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, um, just from memory, the boards were shaped by Eric Arakawa, D.H.D., J.S., um, Morris Cole shaped one of them, I don't know who are the others. Do you remember? I
2: don't recall, but the, the little video thing they put out was really cool. It was and,
0: really insightful. They did a yeah. great job of yeah. it's a thirty minute video. Um listeners should go. I watch can't get it.
2: enough of Stab. Like I'm I'm looking forward to next year's Stab in the Dark. You know what I mean? Like who's the guy they're gonna pick? I would like them to see to kind of go outside the box with the shapers a little bit. Yeah. Like to me it's kinda like it's a little I don't know, what's the I would just like to see them go outside the box, like include Neil Purchase Jr., mm. you know you know what I mean? Like get shapers that maybe aren't making clear 6'1 poly tri-fins, you know what I mean? And
0: yeah. include other shapers. I think and, if you're only going to do it once a year, you got to pick something and go with it. And if you're gonna I mean, are we going to see JS
2: again and DHD again? And, and
0: Well, they, there's a bit of diversion diversion from last year like last year they had panda and they had tim stamps and they had some lesser okay well, smaller production guys yeah
2: okay uh, who was the smaller production guy they had this year in your uh, opinion
0: i'd have to look at the list right. they did have mayhem not that he's a small production guy but i forgot to mention him previously they had mayhem which dane liked his boards a lot and said if he was going on the qs those are the boards that he would ride um so, by the way, they sent Dane to South Africa for 30 days. That's where the test ground was. What I will say, one of the flaws that they acknowledged in this was he's not writing all the boards in all the conditions. Obviously, there's logistic issues. You can't just take all 13 boards out at Flawless J-Bay and right. really give them a go. Right. So, some of the boards were written in marginal conditions. Um, one of them, which was a coal. Uh Cole Simler yeah. is the shaper. Yeah. Uh he pushed his heel through on like the third wave. He surfed it in crappy waves and he basically broke the board. So that didn't really get a fair shake. And a lot of the boards didn't get a fair shake. Are to there too
2: board. many boards in this concept? I wondered that
0: too. Five boards seems about right. I mean, five boards you could really put through their paces. Yeah. Thirteen you can't, but I mean let's get real. Dane knows what he's looking at. When he looks at a board and when he holds the board, he knows what he's looking at. And so he basically put some aside that were like, these ones I'm just going to take out in marginal waves because they seem like that's what they're designed for. These I'm going to save for good waves because it seems like that's what they're designed for. Hmm. And he even said, 8 out of 10 of the sessions, basically, he surfed crappy waves. And he came in and said, those waves sucked. But he reserved the piezel for head high J Bay, which they ultimately did end up getting. Oh,
2: that's interesting. Yeah, because he's
0: like, this looks like it's designed for Point Break, Good Wave, so that's where I want to ride it. So it's kind of no wonder that that board ended up getting picked as his favorite because he rode it at eight foot J Bay.
2: Yeah, which is um, that, yeah. But again, a-
0: again, if you if you come out of this going, <laughs> piezel makes the best boards in the world. I'm going to go ride piezels Then you're kind of getting the wrong thing out of it. There's a lot of nuance that Dane described throughout all of the boards that he rode, which I think is what you should be getting out of it. Yeah. Is that there's a lot of nuance and that different boards are designed for different things and you can't just have one board in your quiver that you ride in all conditions. Huh. So.
2: Well, congrats to Stab and to John Pizel and, uh, and the other shapers as well. I'm sure it's a good publicity for all of them.
0: Interestingly, Channel Islands was included in this. And, oh, cool. And Dane said... First of all, the shapers don't know who the surfer is.
2: Oh, so, really? They just give him a number?
0: Yeah, the, the shapers say, hey, do you want to participate in this? We're not paying you to participate. Uh, you might get deemed the winner, and that'll be good for your brand. You might get deemed horrible, and that'll be bad for your brand. And so they offered the gig to Channel Islands, and Britt Merrick was the shaper, and he saw the surfer's specs, which were... It's a world-class surfer. He's 175 pounds or... I don't know <laughs> he's what, like, it, that's Dane actually, Reynolds. to be honest, it's, I think he said 190. Oh. <laughs> if that's possible. Wow. And, Dane's uh, 190? Six foot tall, 190. I apologize, Dane, if I'm getting this wrong. So anyways, Britt Merritt got these details of the surfer, six foot tall, this is his weight, and he goes, well, it can only be Jordy Smith or Dane Reynolds, basically. Right. So Britt called Dane, and he's like, hey, man, I got this from STAB. Are you the guy? And if you are, should I be involved in this? And Dane fessed up and said, I am the guy. Um, Let's talk. Should we be involved in this or not? And it's like, look, we are your sponsor. If you pick us as being your favorite board, then it's going to look like a fix. Right. If you say our boards suck, that's not really good. Yeah, it's a lose-lose. It's a lose-lose. What they did, Channel Islands decided to be involved. But they've been doing this project with Malcolm Campbell making these bonzers. Cool. So they go, look, instead of making like a high-performance shortboard, let's just make you a bonzer. Like yeah. a, a shortboard bonzer. Right. And so that's what they did. Oh, cool. Which Dane agreed to do because he's like, look, after a month of writing high-performance shortboards, I just wanted a change of did, did
2: he ride that at Jay Bay?
0: No, he wouldn't Oh, that's at too bad. Either Cave Rock or the pier maybe Durban Pier or is that what that yeah, yeah. that's
2: the new pier yeah yeah, yeah. so it would have been cool to see that board go through its paces at a at yeah, point break but. yeah it
0: would have and even seeing him write it is cool where yeah. he does write it um,
2: so his lines are a little yeah, yeah his lines are yeah That's a little what. bit different not yeah. as
0: not ripping as hard but um, drawn out a little bit more But I will say it was good just to see Dane surf again. I mean, we really haven't seen enough Dane Reynolds in recent years. Obviously, he's not competing anymore. He's not with Quick, so he's not getting that wildcard spot into events. And then he's not doing marine layer productions anymore. So Dane's been off the radar. He got married. He had a kid. Um, But he still rips, you know? I mean, his style of surfing is so explosive and radical. Those club sandwich turns, which... I always love, and I talk about when we see him in competition, he does better than anybody. And he did a number of them in this. They're so explosive. Yeah. It's radical.
2: Yeah. So, and how did he look from a girth perspective? Was he pretty, girthy?
0: Pretty girthy, dude. Was he a buck 90? I, I mean, honestly, a fire I, think plug? Was the number. Right. I think that the <laughs> number. I think,
2: I think it number. is, too. I think he's a buck 90.
0: Um, the other thing that I think doesn't get discussed about Dane Reynolds surfing enough is how radical his tube riding is. It's very instinctive, and... Um,
2: There's a lot of putting on the brakes, you know, like step on the brake and then accelerate through the barrel.
0: And a lot of uh, moving around on the board, which reminds me a lot of Tom Curran.
2: I love that. So, like, he'll
0: drop into the bottom and then kind of, like, project off the bottom up to the high line and then get super far up on the nose of the board. Yeah. And then, But he weaves from a nose-riding position on a short board. It's radical. Yeah. And, like, his body kind of... uh,
2: He's got some mojo Body going.
0: English going, yeah. yeah. Little hand motions. Just like, whoo, yeah. it's just radical. I love yeah. seeing it. So some rad surfing in the, in the piece. So it's a 30 minute piece on Stab Mag. It's only on their website, but I'll link to it from surfsplendorpodcast.com.
2: So who would you like to see next time? In the next Stab in the Dark. So
0: the last one was Julian. This one was Dane. Um, good question.
2: How about Brad Gerlock? No. <laughs> <laughs> See, no. I think you'd get some really good insight about boards from Brad. I know he's not Clay Marzo, but no, if you Brad. got Clay Marzo, are you going to get any really good insight, or are you going to be no. oh, that board's cool? You know, like Clay can't
0: communicate. Yeah,
2: so I'm Brad's thinking about guys good. that communicate. And Brad would be a guy that can really break down the nuance of a board. And he's a still, he's probably 50. He's still a really good surfer. Now he's not going to be busting airs or no, not.
0: but he'll be trying and he'll be communicating. I mean, yeah. The my feeling
2: is, and of course, maybe it's because you and I are in that demographic. You're like, yeah. I'd like to hear a 50-year-old tell me about what board I would ride.
0: I'd be most interested to see which scarf Brad is wearing and which <laughs> eyeglasses would get, he chose. That
2: would be just, you know, <laughs>
0: Which fedora he's wearing on that day? That would be
2: just, you know, icing on the cake, right? <laughs> but he would also be able to break down the board. Brad's pretty good at that. So I love Brad.
0: I how can't about, get enough
2: Brad. How about who else would be good? what about Rob what about Machado
0: yeah I mean you and I are of such different cohorts like you're going well I'm just look I just don't think a 22
2: year old is going to be able to tell me as much about a surfboard as uh, say even a 28 year old so let's keep it at a 28 year old they did a great job picking Dane
0: because he's good at how about
2: Noah Dean would you want Noah Dean no I do not okay how about um, Craig Anderson would you want Craig Anderson to tell you about a bunch of different boards? I, he no. might be interesting. I don't know he what He could
0: be interesting. I don't really care what he has to say. Yeah, he rides weird boards. You know. Yeah. Uh, so he's Kelly, a, Kelly Slater. Kelly to be honest, would be is awesome. The Kelly would Kelly's be the awesome. Best communicator. Boom. He knows more about surfboard design probably than any other pro that's out there.
2: Kelly's a the guy. Done. He, Kelly's a guy. Except he's there's a conflict of interest because Kelly's got Firewire. He's invested in Firewire. Yeah,
0: in the same way that there's a conflict. What about of Daniel interest? Thompson?
2: If we're going to get conflict of interest, Daniel Thompson would be an interesting guy. That's a great pick. He because shapes he shapes and, and he shreds, shreds. and he could tell this you about the so board. Good. At the end of the day, he's going to be like, they're all lame. Let me make you a board. It'll yeah. be way better. Chop
0: the nose, flatten off the rocker.
2: <laughs> so there are some, I mean, and we have just tip of the iceberg. There's so many good, qual- like what about some other Australian guys that would be good? Because Stab's an Australian media outlet for more, for better or for worse, yeah. Right. Are there some Australian they would, guys? They go
0: Creed, McTag- Creed McTaggart is their guy. They would go that guy, Dion Aegis. Creed might. Or I'd be down with John John actually. Yeah. You know, I posted something on. It's um, got to be somebody that's not on tour. I posted something on Instagram last night, which was aimed at shaming you, but also oh, thank you at at a much larger point, which is John John Florence's series twelve just dropped its fourth episode, in which John John does unbelievable surfing. But he's also ranked the number one surfer in the world on the WSL Tour. And my question to you, Scott, is, is this maybe the first time since Andy Irons where we've seen the number one competitive surfer in the world also producing the most radical free surfing clips simultaneously?
2: Um, the number one surfer in the world has been Gabe and you don't see a lot of radical free surfing clips from Gabe he doesn't, but
0: his, he doesn't produce edits he doesn't produce free surfing yeah he doesn't you'll but, see a random clip here and there yeah. but he's not out there producing things right. like Dane has in the
2: past. so who's the other no, well Dane would have been like three years ago but he wasn't he was the number, number one right so the number one ranked surfer in the world was either Kelly Slater Mick Kelly Freeman, Adriano Mick Adriano. you don't see a lot of free surfing from Mick no. you will probably soon
0: you see you see rip Curl produce a little edit here and there, but it's never the most radical clip online. There's always albie Layer doing a 720 while Mix doing, you know, three turns to the beach. Essentially, beautiful turns, but not the most radical free surf clip. So the question is: best free surfer in the world, best competitive surfer in the world, John John Florence.
2: No, the answer is I don't think there's been anyone since Andy Irons that's done that. You know, isn't
0: that fascinating? That is because I've thought, even though I haven't really expressed it on this show that the best surfing in the world in the last two and three years has been being done on the WSL tour which wasn't really the case previously but I do think that it has been like when you look at what Felipe is doing in small waves on the Gold Coast or whatever that's the most radical and then when you look at the barrel riding we saw Owen Wright do at Fiji last year and Kelly Slater and Gabriel Medina and John John Florence at Chopu stuff like that like that's better than any free surf clips that we see. But now we're seeing John John doing the free surfing. That's actually better than the world tour surfing. And then he's winning. He's number one on the world tour.
2: Yeah. It's you know so I start to think okay well, who's running John John's scene besides John John and he's sponsored by Hurley. So the Hurley team is doing a good job. Of going, hey, let's get both of these out. Then you think back to Andy, and it was the Billabong guys, right? So um, Graham Stapleberg or whoever was over there running that marketing was going, Andy, we're going to get some free surfing of you too. Yeah. And so you know, if you step back and look about, look at who his sponsors are, who these two guys sponsors are or were, and how they were promoting their their guy, they did a really good job of it.
0: They do, and I will really drive that point home with Hurley's done a great job curating John John's image. Like the quality of material that they're putting out with View from the Blue Moon, his $2 million film last year, full-length feature. And then this episodic series designed for the YouTube space, 12 the quality of it, the production quality of this 12 series is every bit as good as view from the blue moon. Bill Ballard's the guy behind it. Yeah. I want to get him on the show. I just, I tried to find his contact info and I couldn't find him
2: anywhere. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's like, it looks, it's cinematic, you know? And, um, they're licensing like, a-list music i was well,
2: i mean just, has hurley ever done anything wrong and the answer is no
0: yeah they have I mean, what, they, what have they
2: done wrong I mean, like, they, in my mind they're just the, like every move they make is gold
0: i mean i agree with your sentiment but i mean this is the next level like they're putting all of their power behind this and i think that they're smart to do it because he's the guy dude he is the guy oh yeah he's Number one in the world. He's producing... I mean, this free serve... This Instagram I posted yesterday of this 12 series. It's a one-minute piece on Instagram. He's doing backflips, dude. Multiple backflips. He does the gnarliest fin-free layback, like a Clay Marzo clayback. A clayback? But he goes into the club sandwich spin. Like, he does the clayback... And he's like laying down and then you see when he starts to stand that his board starts spinning and he go he completes the rotation. It's like, whoa, clayback to club sandwich? What? Like never even seen that before. <laughs> clayback
2: to club sandwich. And
0: his barrel riding prowess, you know, is just like otherworldly. Yeah, like he's a wizard. Yeah. So
2: Well, it'll I'm be interesting to, I'm who isn't. I mean it's incredible the stuff that the guy does and, and on top of that he's sort of easy to manage because he's such a good human being and he comes off with this sense of humility and humbleness and and sincerity yeah that's just it's easy to like
0: it really is he's uh this piece um that i'm talking about the first half of it is him sailing and talking about the virtues of sailing and metaphors for life So
2: that's new right like somebody told me that he's Uh, One of the guys from somebody I know who knows, he's like, yeah, John, John's totally into sailing. He bought this new sailboat. It's all, it's all what's happening. It's John, John's into sailing. And you didn't uh, know that about him. No. Well, I mean, about, Uh, about a month ago, this was told to me. Right. And, um, and, and it was in the, it was in the tone or the framework of, he gave up this to start doing this. And I forget. Oh, he was flying. John, John was taking flying lessons and he's, I guess he put the flying lessons on hold, and now he's involved in sailing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too. It was an interesting tack to take, but, again, ingratiates me more to Jon Jon, because there's story, and there's personality, and there's yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So, I'm a huge fan of this series. The video piece is remarkable, and, of course, the surf.
2: Well, speaking of Jon Jon... The next thing you think of when you think of John John is pipeline. Pipeline's been off its face already this season. Like it's been ridiculously good. The sand is perfect, and the, well, at least for the laughs.
0: When I saw the first images, I thought, "Oh, this is a, this must have been last year." year. I know to be. They've already cycling.
2: had numerous days, like four or five days in a row, where it was pretty all-time epic super fun
0: and Mason Ho ruled it. <laughs> yes, he did.
2: <laughs> and some other guys too got some great waves out uh, there. Those pipe locals are just stoked.
0: Yeah. That's kind of cool. Pipe. Yeah. Cool. Um do you want to get into the WSL stuff?
2: Sure. Um, Quicksilver Pro in France. Surprising win for Keanu Singh. I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's a surprise, especially in the finals against Gabe Medina in, a, in basically what was a left sandbank. Yeah. It was almost just too soft. Yeah. It was too soft of a wave for Gabe to get into the air it was like he was struggling to get the speed that he would it was almost like the rip current was working against the wave it was the rip current was begging the wave to break and it was just barely crumbling and if you got the wrong one it was just a bog festival and if you got the right one you were working really hard to get your board up and into the what was barely a a lip yeah and i mean every wave that keanu caught was it just looked like he was working his ass off to get the turn you felt i was tired like when he finished the ride i was like oh my god that guy's legs must be burning right now and and it was really a tale of keanu getting the waves that offered a couple of sections where he could get some some speed Mm gaffs and gabe's waves were like he was just begging the wave to give him something to work with
0: yeah um it is a shocker. You're right. It's not a. It's totally okay to say that it's a shocker. I'd say it's the biggest shocker since Matt Wilkinson winning two events in a row. Um, how do you feel about it? How do I feel you, about? When you it? You saw those results. Were you psyched? Were you? I was you
2: feel bored. Like proud of him? Like I was bored as a fan. It was a boring final. It was I agree. Like, it was completely boring.
0: I was intrigued by the headline. And then I'm like, obviously it takes place in the middle of the night for us here in California. So I wasn't up watching it. I woke up to the news, but I went back when I was excited for Keanu and I was like, wow, this is a great story. Let me go watch the footage. And then I watched the footage and go, Oh, like,
2: yeah was this a qs <laughs> i mean like, look i'm happy for yeah, count yeah. we're both happy it's for a great story
0: it is but it's not the most radical surfing like in the pantheon of surfing that's Taking place this year like that's not going to rank in the highlight reel at it the
2: seems end. like every season there's one event where you're like oh okay that's random that that guy won and then that's that you know like maybe like kai otten will win like a brazil event or something or in portugal a couple years ago yeah, yeah and it's just like okay right yeah you know, but nothing else happens but like he, he just happened he just lot. settles back into 20th place
0: oh, right, <laughs> right. And Keanu needed this to requalify, but which is great. But what I what this year is the year of this spoiler situation. Like Kelly Slater lost to Leonardo Fioravanti, you know, in that contest. that guy's got his number. He really does because he beat him at Margaret, right? Think, at Margaret's, year. yeah. Um. So it's like, and then Wilco's losing to Wild Wilco, the number one ranked prior to this, John John. Like he's losing to Wild Cards. It's just been the year of upsets. Wilco winning events is the upset. Keanu winning events it's been like I don't know whether to like love it or just be kind of sad that my heroes have fallen like where where did you go Kelly where did you go Mick well that's interesting you
2: know I part of me I'm 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 sitting here stewing on the judging a little bit
0: no, I, I mean, there's moments that you could pick apart with the judging. There always will and, be. Yeah, by and large, the judging isn't what's to blame for any of this stuff. Like, Wilco deserved to win the contest that he won, and Keanu deserved to win this one. You
2: know? So I think back when Wilco, back in March or April... We were like, "How long is this? Is this really happening? Like, are we right. gonna are we gonna crown Wilco right now?" And we were both like, "No way, he's gonna fade from the scene." There's no way. He just the pressure of it, and I think that's been proven out.
0: Oh yeah, it's definitely been proven now. We, I mean, he's got a 25th now in Portugal. By the way, we're, you and I are discussing the France event. We're now in Portugal, right? They just finished, or they're in
2: round, round two, round two last yeah. night.
0: So Wilco just lost in round two in Portugal. So that's a 25th. He has another 25th. I forget where, but in the last two events and then a bunch of 13ths from the last three events. So 13ths and 25ths for the last second half of the year.
2: Um, So he came on strong. He'll be comfortably settled in at number 10 and he'll get some colored wetsuits and become the character that, that the Aussie character that he always was. Which
0: by the way, 10th is great for him.
2: Yeah. Because he was, are you you disappointed if you're Wilco's camp? If you're Wilco or in Wilco's camp? Hugely. Or you're just like, you know what, good job, dude. You got tenth this year.
0: Dude, when you're riding that first position for half a year, you're disappointed after that. Like he had his sight he had the idea of a world title, and he'll never have that idea. Again.
2: So there's this event and there's pipe, right? Or is there one yeah, so this Pikes. is it. Two more events, one and a half more events. Mm-hmm. And he's done. So there's one more event for Wilco. Which he could Wilco could do pretty damn good at
0: Pipe. You know what? In the past,
2: I think he has done well. Like, you know, quarters.
0: Wilco has the ability to get barreled at heaving lefts, but he doesn't have the ability to do it better than John John Kelly or Gabriel Medina. And that's a fact. Right. Like, no matter what the conditions are, those guys will smoke him. Yeah. Um, The other big upset or spoiler that I forgot to mention from this year was Sebastian Zietz, the wild card winning in Margaret River. Over Julian
2: Wilson. And oh, he's, he's going to qualify? Team. He could re-qualify. He's going to be, is, will he be the first person? Oh, what do you mean re-qualify? He was off the tour, wasn't he? And he got he's in as a wild card? Yeah. yeah. so But he's he, been on in the past. Right. right. So he might be the first person to re-qualify using the WCT as his mode to get re-qualification. I don't think that's ever happened before because that's a new rule, right?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure.
2: So he might be game. the first person. That's pretty interesting. He's in
0: thirteenth position right now.
2: Is there anyone else that's used? The other guy would be Stuart Kennedy. Is Stuart Kennedy going to qualify
0: for the CT using CT points? He could. He's in eighteenth.
2: Wow. Well, yeah. So he's
0: in in And he's positions.
2: still in. The, he's still going in this event too.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um. Well, Carissa Moore also won in France, so that's worth noting. But. The big story was that Tyler Wright clinched her world title in France um, over Courtney Conlog. Those are the two contenders that were vying, and obviously the season isn't over for them. They still got to surf Honolulu Bay, but strictly mathematically, Tyler Wright became the world champ.
2: Tyler Wright is our 2016 world champion.
0: Congratulations, Tyler Wright.
2: Yeah, she is um, a powerful surfer she's a a surfer who charges she gets she knows how to get barreled um she can do it all really um she might lack a little bit of grace Mm. um you know carissa Moore can do it all and carissa has just a touch of flair and a touch of aesthetic that from my opinion is just a little bit more likable
0: yep
2: um Tyler's sort of a working person's Australian champion yeah she's like Damien Hardman yeah
0: well it's interesting uh I agree with you about Carissa Moore and that's why she has how many world titles three I think she has three. something like that I'm not positive um but I'm a huge Courtney Conlog fan because she's our local girl in Huntington Beach we see her surfing the pier all the time so I wanted Courtney to win, and she doesn't have a world title yet, and she's always right there in the top yeah. you know picture. But what I will say is that all the attributes that Courtney has, the hard work ethic, the athleticism, the powerhouse, Tyler also has Exactly and then Tyler additionally has some finesse and flair and uh, spontaneity that Courtney Conlogue doesn't have.
2: Well, I just I almost feel like Courtney's one season behind Tyler. Like C- Courtney's where Tyler was last year, right? And so next year you sense that if Courtney can kind of because she I know Courtney busted her ass this year and and she's done great, but if Courtney can focus in the off season and go, look, my goal has not been yet met, and she goes out and d- and really puts her mind to it, I think Courtney. I mean. It's, it, it's it's sort of turning into like the way women's tennis is. Women's surfing is actually interesting because there's four girls that are like four or five that are like at the top and they're all battling each other each and every time and you really don't know the outcome. Yeah. And it's, you know, from a, from a fan's point of view, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like if we but, could always have Gabe and Kelly and John John and Philippe, you know, and know that you know, it's going to be tight every time. Yeah. That's kind of what we have on the women's side.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. Um, I think Courtney is kind of the women's side's Adriano DeSouza, where you're saying go back and regroup. No, no, no. What she's going to do is go back and just hit the gym harder. Well, that's what I mean. Harder. But I'm saying that's not really the right approach. Like, you need less of that, actually. I mean, I guess... Uh, Adriano did win a world title with that level of tenacity but it's not very becoming like you yeah. can do that and maybe you can grind out a world title but I think what will serve Courtney better is a little less tenacity like that got you to this level and well, by the way Tyler has the same level of tenacity you, you guys are equivalent in that intensity and tenacity but Tyler also has finesse mixed in with it and that's the next level
2: And I don't speak so much about what we see on the wave face from the from the girls and especially Courtney. What I mean is you haven't met your goal yet, so let's not give up on it. And I'm talking about tenacity in her heart. Okay. Like don't let down now. Like don't because I know she tried really hard this year and she's probably like, oh shoot, you know what? I gave it my all and I didn't get there. And I'm saying, you know what? Continue to give it your all in your heart, continue the focus. Right and the other things you know maybe there's some coaching that can be done here or there to help her with some hand chive or whatever (laughs) but uh, I don't want her to lose focus of her goal yeah because I do feel like again she's where Tyler Wright was last year remember Tyler lost at Honolulu at Honolulu you know right there at the end and and it was a big letdown (laughs) Courtney lost at Honolulu too by one heat so yeah and you know yeah. What did Tyler do? She came back refocused. And, and that's all I'm saying is Courtney needs to refocus and stay focused, maybe. Yeah.
0: I'm going to say something that doesn't really need to be said because it's obvious and we've said it a million times before. But you said, I'm not really talking about what's taking place on the wave face. I'm talking about what's play, taking place in her heart. All women's surfing takes place on the wave face. When these girls, if these girls really want to take the world title and go to the next level, Let's start seeing some airs. Like we, we. When a girl does an air in a contest, it is the highlight of the year. And it's like, did you see Lakey Peterson G Peterson? Bring back Silvana Lima. A rail grab air reverse. She got one foot off the wave, and she was grabbing the rail the whole time. And people are blown, like blown away by it. Looked, it by looked
2: it. like crap.
0: Where you see even. You know, Kelly Slater, the 45-year-old dudes doing full roats and getting the nine. In like, That's interesting, time, you know. It's time.
2: Maybe, and maybe that will happen. I'm sure that's going to happen at some point. But to use the tennis analogy, you know, the men's tennis, they serve 130 miles per hour, and it's bang, bang, and the point's over. And women's tennis, you get a lot more volleys. It's more engaging from the viewer's standpoint because you're seeing a lot more fun tennis being played. There's a lot more yeah. points... They're going back and forth. So, you know... There's a lot of aspects. Are you telling me that the women's surfing on the wave face has been perfected? No. Yeah, me either. So, let's stay there until we... (laughs) Let's keep it there until we get that figured out. I don't know. Because I don't... You know, last thing I want to see is an
0: ugly air. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's get the wave face... Yes, I don't know. I hear what you're saying, and I don't think that women sur- surfing should be mirroring men surfing at all. I think like there's a lot of attributes of the women's surfing that men don't have that is very beautiful to watch. I just think um god, it's kind of stalled out at the same time in terms of progressiveness, you know?
2: Yeah, there's probably some truth to that.
0: Yeah. Well, One step at a time, I suppose. Um, Andy Ironstock
2: yeah did you see the trailer I did what did you think
0: lots of tears in it a lot of tears. I, I thought, I don't know if Beach Grit was the one that posted that. It was like a bunch of screen grabs of each person crying,
2: <laughs> which is so. By funny. the way, as a filmmaker, I I would never take my tearjerker moment and put it in a trailer. You want to save that for the main event.
0: Wow. Look at Scott Bass, quote, filmmaker Scott Bass, <laughs> questioning Teton gravity. I'm just research saying what is I would, Well, props. okay.
2: And then the other thing is, why is there crowdfunding for this thing? I wondered. That's a joke. To... You want me to pay for your film?
0: That's how I felt about it. Tim. That's
2: ridiculous. This is Teton
0: Gravity. Aren't, isn't this what they do for a living? Right. Yeah. Speaking, coming from the guys who are going to be asking for donations for the show. <laughs> That's right. But this isn't what we do for a living. No, I, I agree with you. This is like a high-budget production that is already completed. And they're like, oh, by the way, pay for this film. Right. I thought that was really bizarre,
2: actually. I did, too. Um, how but know? look, here's the thing. I'm looking forward to seeing the film. But like the Bunker Spreckles film that we have not seen, I don't know. I this better be the whole Andy. They're like the whole story. This is going to be the whole story, you know. And first of all, the whole story's already been told. Brad Malekian wrote an incredible piece for Outside Magazine, which, by the way, the The surf industry sort of poo-pooed and sort of, you know, berated Brad for doing a really great journalistic piece. I mean, this guy sought out, did his research, did his thing. This guy did his work and i would urge everyone that wants to find out this, the story so far of andy irons to just google the outside magazine article just it's, go to uh,
0: surf Splendor podcast.com i have a link to it there
2: right and nice. it's a great article right and uh, i know for a fact that brad's writing a book about what happened a more in-depth book about it yeah and so the onus is really on this movie to really tell the whole story like what is it that David and Scott already know? That Andy Irons was at one point the best surfer in the world, untouchable, even by Kelly Slater. Andy Irons was the mark that was to be met. He was an unstoppable, just incredible charger, you know, chopu pipeline, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we know that. Do we need to find that out again by this movie? You know, you can touch on it, but we get it. We know that, right? That, But yes. that is part of the story, for right. sure. But that story has been told. Like, you and I don't need to go see this film to know that, right?
0: No. Not to know that detail. No. Right. You're right.
2: So, what is it that we need to be told? We know we're going to be engaged by this movie. We know we're probably going to be entertained. But will we be informed by this movie? And that is my hope, that we will be informed.
0: I suppose yeah I agree with you and that there's a lot of
2: rumors and- surrounding Andy Irons that need to be that need to be turned from rumor to either fact or fiction
0: yeah so what are those rumors and what do you well
2: think? I mean the rumors that are touched on that you know that circulate throughout the internet you know like that Andy Irons had been in rehab a couple of times. Um, I think that the, the Malekian article touches on it. Yeah, um, that Andy Irons almost died one time on a trip to Indonesia with and a, a well-known surf photographer. Brought him back to life with CPR at the hospital or at the airport or something. I don't. You know. Again, these almost are rumors died from what partying uh, you know and again i don't know that's why they're rumors you know like this isn't my job to answer these questions these are the this is the job of if this is in fact the whole story which is how they're billing it then let's get the whole story you know you're not even willing to say what the rumors are though like i know because that speaks to the the depth of the industry like exactly. p- putting the putting the putting the like pressure cooker on it you yeah. know like you don't want to piss people off man yeah. you know what i mean yeah and it's and it's sort of sad and it sort of speaks to, um, you know, what it speaks to is all these great new internet outlets that are out there like Beach Grid. Like Beach Grit will tell you exactly what, but will they? Mm-hmm. Or do they not want to upset the apple cart? Yeah. So, there, you know, there's a lot to this story that needs to be told and, and there's a lot of answers, I guess, that need to be brought you know put forth you know there's questions there's answers and a lot of these questions so i guess i'm getting at okay please don't tell me that andy irons was i mean you're going to tell us but don't make the movie about that yeah i get it i lived it we lived it we all lived it we know andy was great we know he's you know we, and we know it's a sad situation did andy drive die of a drug overdose well some say yes and some say no and you know let's answer that question you come out with either you know you're you've got to come on one side of that equation yeah. which is it
0: it's pretty definitive uh i mean it can be answered definitively like science can tell you the answer to that question
2: right like by looking at the autopsy yeah, well so there's actually some out. stuff behind the autopsy right like there's a lot of politics behind the autopsy you right. might not get life insurance if the autopsy reads one way or the other yeah. and so do the doctors go hey you know what Let's get this guy. Let's get this guy's uh, wife and kid paid out. They deserve it. So let's just do the right thing and say he died of a heart attack, brought on by complications of Xanax or whatever else. And uh, again, I don't know exactly. I think it's in the Outside Magazine article exactly what was in his body. But so there's my point is I'm looking forward to being engaged and entertained, but I won't be satisfied unless I'm informed. Yeah.
0: I agree with you that that is what I want, but I think I'll be entertained um, even if I'm not fully informed. I think he's just a fascinating well, figure. Who, the one thing that they touched on that somebody said was something in reference to bipolar disorder. I don't know if he had it or not, or if they were just speculating. But I think he did. I think he he certainly exhibited. I think exhibited he did a lot of traits of bipolar disorder. Yeah, and so I think like those. But again, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist.
2: You're not a doctor. Uh, we're just like.
0: No, I only did the first few years of medical school. Right, oh, good for you. No, um, so that's fascinating to me because he's such a volatile character. You know, like going having extreme highs and extreme lows make for an uh, interesting character.
2: Here is the other thing: is that is that the movie? I, I'm un, from what I understand, the movie is being. It has to be. You have to get the green light from Lindy Irons for this film. In other words, the, it goes through her. Filter, which as a filmmaker is a red flag. Yeah. Like we have to get her approval for what this film looks like. And to me, you know, okay, then we're going to get Andy Irons through the prism of Lindy, which is great. You know, which I'm sure is, but is it going to be the full story? Yeah. And that's where you're kind of like, oh no! Like my, my red flag kind of went up when I heard that. It's like, oh, so Lindy has to sign off on everything and lindy and it's in her best interest to make andy look pretty good you know especially for their beautiful little son and you know and i get that but are we going to get the full beware of mr baker yeah. you know are we going to get the full documentary here or are we going to get the the shiny glossy look how great he is i just i get that he's great i don't want to i don't want to leave the film going yeah he was great i want to leave the film going Okay, I got some answers to some questions I had about this. Mm-hmm. Some of these innuendos are now put to rest. Yeah. And I don't want it to be vague, because the trailer was sort of vague.
0: It was vague, but the, again, production quality looks awesome. And, like, they had a bunch of childhood footage that I had not seen before. So, I think there's a lot That'll to be look fun. Forward yeah, to. that'll definitely yeah. be cool. I agree completely with you. I'd rather get a low fi version of the real story than a high fi version of the glossy story. But... I'm going to watch it no matter what, and I'm excited to see it. I won't be funding it. I'll tell you, I that. won't be
2: funding it, and I know that um, Brad Malachyin has the full story. Yeah. Like he and he has no um, skin in the game. He doesn't want to do anyone injustice. He just wants to tell the story as a journalist should. Right, kind of like um, you know, like Sebastian Younger, yeah, like that.
0: Yeah, interesting. Grip um, uh, posted an article about in it. Documentary that's being done with Sonny Garcia as well. From I think his name's Mark Oblitz, who did Sea of Darkness,
2: yeah, which got buried. You and Michael, isn't about, it Michael? Was it Michael Oblitz?
0: Mark, oh, I think it's Michael, yeah, maybe. Well, anyway, uh, Sea of Darkness we've talked about on this show, it won some awards, but ultimately got buried. Somebody bought the rights to it and buried it because it's about the drug trade and how, um, the drug trade out of southeast asia funded a lot of uh surf brands essentially and so that film went away um but this director who's responsible for that is has been following sunny garcia for the last decade and was there when sunny got busted for his tax evasion stuff and spent time in prison and has been following his recovery ever since or not recovery but um you know, climbing back onto the world stage ever since, and then winning a world title in 2000, all that stuff. Uh, so that looks interesting. He's got footage, really interesting footage. He he has fist fights. He said he's gotten used to Sonny Garcia calling him and cussing him out, telling him that he's going to kill him.
2: Uh, <laughs> now, Sonny Garcia is a fascinating figure from a documentary <laughs> standpoint because totally. he's a live wire. He's going to mm-hmm. go off, and he's like Ginger Baker in many ways. He's yeah. going to just be. Ah! You know, which is kind of cool. That's, that's actually a pretty fascinating documentary.
0: Yeah. And I don't know how close that is to completion. And it's like, dude, you got 10 years of footage. I think when do you, when do you wrap this thing? (laughs) What are you
2: waiting for? Some other meltdown to happen or, or some sort of triumph? I mean, isn't Sonny doing, I've heard he's doing triathlons and stuff like the Ironman, like the gnarly one on the big Island. Yeah. And he's fully involved and uh, good for Sonny. I mean, I think that's great.
0: Yeah. He seems healthy. I mean, I've seen him around. You know, we've seen him at the boardroom show. Uh, That's in right. San Diego. This That's past right. Year, That's and exactly him, right. I see him at random things. All the time. you know
2: everything. I don't know, Sonny. Everything I, I've interviewed him a few times, but everything I hear about him is that he's a, he's actually a really sweet guy. You know, he's a good guy. His heart is in the right place. And occasionally, like all of us, you know, our egos get the better of us, and maybe we do things we regret.
0: Yeah, I think his um, just based on that little piece that I saw on Beach Grit he was raised with a uh, level of volatility that you and I weren't. So he has those moments of rage uh, and lapse more frequently, just based on upbringing and that sort of thing. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, What else you got, Scott? Must see moments, Dukes and Kooks, anything like that? Um, Yeah.
2: My, my Duke is Nick Palindrani.
0: You got it.
2: For winning the icons of foam shape off. And my kook is the guy who ran me over yesterday when I was surfing, (laughs) bruised my calf.
0: No way. What happened? Break it down.
2: I was, he was further outside paddling for a peak. I was underneath him, inside of him. And I paddled for the wave right in the sort of the apex of the moment. And he was sort of on the shoulder and paddled on top of me. So it could be argued that I paddled underneath him, or it could be argued that he paddled on top of me.
0: Was he trying to go the opposite way? No,
2: we were both trying to go right. And he saw that I had the inside position, so he moved over me. And... Um,
0: Did you punch him out no
2: No, no, no. <laughs> I don't do that. Why would you say that? Why would you even say that? I don't punch people
0: well geez the fact that you're that sensitive about it makes me think otherwise because i I was totally joking
2: i am sensitive (laughs)
0: um what did you say to
2: him what happened what was the end oh um i we i it was um nothing really happened i think i said something like hey oh i said hey are you okay Wow. Yeah. What a and, he, and he goes, what do you mean? And I go, I just asked you, are you okay? And he goes, and I go like, I don't want, it was early in the morning. like, I don't want to get into it. He goes, I, he goes, I don't want to get into it either. I go, okay, bye. And we just like battled away from each other.
0: So was it his fault officially? <laughs> well, it depends who you ask. I'm asking you?
2: Um, no, I might've been at fault oh, okay. a, a little bit. I might've been, uh, you know, maybe... <laughs> I shouldn't have swung and kind yeah. of, you know, it was kind of like maybe it was his turn. Right. You know,
0: he, the wave was kind of coming to him naturally and you just out positioned him. Yeah. I out
2: positioned him and then he was like, the, what's going on? And he was yeah. yeah, but, and then when he was paddling for the wave, he didn't even see me. Like he didn't even, like I flipped on, I went, it I didn't could flip on him that he could
0: be, that you would be that aggressive. To
2: right. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the greatest thing that came out of it is that, I paused when agitated, and I just went. You know what? Don't let this don't don't go there because yeah. it'll just ruin your morning.
0: Well, that's what we call personal growth, Scott.
2: You know what? A little bit at a time.
0: Congratulations! I feel like this show has been therapeutic for you. Yes. And me at times. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, say how much money has this saved us on therapy bills? <laughs>
2: I don't know, but speaking of money, we're going to be billing people so <laughs> No, hey, how cool was all the listeners that we ran into yeah. up in Santa Cruz? Oh, that tells me about. a lot about the growth of the show. Yeah. Because I was blown away how many people came up and just said, hey, love the show. Love what you and David are doing. Keep it up. And by the way, I'll pitch in yeah. if you guys do put up a crowdfunding thing.
0: Everybody has said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's almost, I feel like we're like celebrities kind of in that environment. It's my once the a year... The listener
2: is the celebrity. It's my
0: once a year where my ego gets adequately stroked, and I'm just like, that's right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, so, I've got... My busty moment is John John's 12, episode 4. The series is called 12. Episode 4 dropped. You'll see it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Go to at surfsplendor on Instagram to see the one-minute uh, teaser that I posted. My duke is the Wright family, Tyler Wright's family. Yeah. I think, like, they've persevered some real stuff. I mean, her winning the world title is what prompted me to uh, nominate them as my Duke. And, by the way, Keanu Singh could have been a Duke as well. Yes. You know, this was his only chance he's ever going to get to be a Duke on our show. Oh, so we wow. Really, we really should have gifted it to I'm him. I'm still
2: holding out that but, but Keanu Tyler, could-
0: Tyler, you know, I thought a lot about her um, and Sean Doherty wrote a piece about her overcoming a lot of the stuff that she's overcome in recent years because she has come at a time where Carissa Moore has been dominant and Steph Gilmore has been dominant. We saw Sally Fitzgibbons make a run. We've seen Courtney make a run and Tyler actually came out of the scene strong, went away for a bit and completely regrouped. And he says, Sean Doherty says the moment that he remembers, he can pinpoint the moment where he knew that Tyler Wright would one day become the best surfer in the world. And it was back in January of last year when competing for a local board writers club in the national final at Cronulla. Cronula? Cronulla. 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 She surfed a desperate last-minute wave straight up into the concrete ocean pool, floated clean onto it, Uh dry-docked. Then, with her leash wrapped around the guide chain and a solid set bearing down on her, she dove headfirst into the oncoming wave, got smashed back into the concrete wall, and clambered up, bruised, and bloodied. It was a boss move from a boss you remember this I do remember, I do remember that. this as well and I, I, he's right I was like holy crap who is that and she is that is gnarly like a UFC competitor you yeah know?
2: she is kind of Ronda Rousey isn't she she's bad and she's very much Adriana DeSouza she is you she know is and, she, and she's you sense that she's an underdog and you want to pull for her even if you know her surfing she's not the graceful Steph Gilmore but for whatever reason you're like good on you
0: totally and so that warrior spirit you always root for but What I what I think that Sean is highlighting there in that moment, and he does it so well, is I always talk about story being important, and what I want out of Surf film is story, and what we want out of the WSL to highlight in these athletes are their stories. What I love about this is that we've seen evolution in a character. We've seen arc in Tyler Wright's story. There's been she tried this one tact at making it and it failed and she had to go back and regroup and she came back a new person and she's been smacked down and challenged, but she comes back from that. And like, we've seen these moments of change in Tyler, Wright, And I think that's beautiful. Like when you watch a film, that's what you're looking for. The protagonist to go through change, obviously, you know, and, but I'm going to apply this to her whole family because my heart's always with Owen Wright. Like, I think Owen Wright's one of the best surfers we've seen come along, and he's been hit with some really challenging deficits and injuries. He broke his back, he busted his eardrum, and now he's got this head injury that he's dealing with. And I think that there's a lot not being said about Owen I, Wright's I injury. I agree, yeah. Because... <laughs> Just the silence is deafening. It really is. He was supposed to come back in six months, but then he didn't, but they didn't really release any statements about it. Yeah. And head injuries, by the way, can be career ending. Yeah. They could be life ending. Yeah. You hear horror stories about somebody riding their bike and they just like tip over. They didn't even wipe out. They tip over, but they bounced their head off the curb, went home, went to sleep, and they never wake up again. You know, stuff like that. And that, by the way, was similar to what Owen. Owen went home and went to sleep just because he had a headache. And then Matt Wilkinson had to wake him up. Right. And they sent him to the hospital. That was at Pipeline last year. We covered it in detail in the show. But, you know, it's like Owen, it's just like there's, like you said, the silence is deafening. That's the best way to put it. And I'm really worried about him. And I don't know anybody on the inside camp, but I... It makes me sad.
2: It does. I'm, i I think of the two, and you when you think, okay, who's gonna be the first world champion like last year, say after the Fiji event, or was it Cloudbreak that he dominated? Was it Fiji uh, or
0: Cloudbreak? After the Cloudbreak event is Fiji, by the way.
2: <laughs> I mean no, I meant I meant Chofu. <laughs> so Cloudbreak. So after that four event four
0: tens through the event.
2: We were like, you know, if I was to ask you who's gonna be a world champion first, Owen or Tyler, you still might have said Tyler. Maybe actually. Yeah. It wasn't a But uh, you certainly, you know, what's happened with Owen Wright's been sad and shocking. And we're looking for that comeback story from Owen. But the silence is deafening.
0: Well, Owen showed up. I think it was at the Quicksilver Pro for Tyler Wright. Um, She ended up winning that event this year. And I heard through the grapevine that she told him not to come to the event, which makes me think. Dude, if the event's in Australia, you guys are Australian. If she's telling Owen not to come to the event, that indicates that he's pretty sick and that he's not well. Well, he ended up at the event, and when she won the final, she came back into the competitor's area, and he was there. And they hugged, and they embraced, and they caught this on film. But when I saw it, I thought to myself, Owen doesn't look well. Owen looks frail, and he looks slow, kind of. And I was apprehensive to even say it on the show as I am now, because
2: we're not doctors and we don't want to put anything out. This is just the yeah. way, this is just what you observed,
0: but it made me sad. I yeah. was like, that's not the same Owen right that I know something is amiss." Yeah, and nobody's saying anything. And that makes me scared. Yeah. And so,
2: cause I know that the rip curl team, they would be the first ones to go, all right, he's getting on the bandwagon here. Right. He's getting better. And they would, they would be putting stuff out there. Yeah. You know, um, and they, Neil and, Neil would yeah, Neil the guy Ridgway yeah Ridgway would be like because that's their, one of their guys so you cool know is, especially dude. as Mick is fading you know slowly yeah. fading his career towards a, a different chapter yeah um, I mean they've
0: got Wilco and they've got G- Gabby but Owen's been the number one guy above them even or, Owen's right? just yeah. that
2: classic big Australian ocker that a, a, a rip curled somebody like Neil would they just want to be able to pr- I mean and he's a great he, you know, what a great story this guy's just a great guy Yes, and because they're not yeah putting anything out yeah it's 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 so
0: scary yeah well on a lighter note owen Wright is also uh he's got a beautiful girlfriend and she's pregnant and uh so they're having their first kid together and so as i follow owen on instagram he's been documenting a lot about that and his relationship with her so it's the best of times and it's the worst of times you know and um so my duke is the right family because of the highs and lows and like I said story. I mean there's so many arcs to this story and it's all really endeared me to that whole clan. And I love I love Mikey right their younger brother who produces banger web clips every once in a while.
2: Banger. That's yeah. an Aussie term, I. Yeah. 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 Um interesting speaking of family, my brother was in town this week and um and he asked me, he goes, hey, I've been... so my brother lives in Connecticut, doesn't surf, he, he's, he's not one of us. And he watches the WSL. Mm-hmm. He records it. and watches it yeah and i was like blown away like well why why are you watching this and he's like i just kind of dig it like he watches the big wave world tour and he was telling me things like he's like yeah the chopu event was great you know and this is a guy who doesn't own a surfboard so i was fascinated by that and and i think the people at wsl might be fascinated because i'm like god this is the exact demographic that wsl wants you know as the non-surfer to be engaged the way that i'm a non-tennis player but i'll watch tennis you know and i thought that that was fascinating and i said, Gosh. I wonder if you're an anomaly, you know? I wonder if you're just that outlier. And and he goes, well, no, my son, his son watches it, who goes to Cornell, you know, in upstate New York, doesn't own a surfboard, but he watches it because one of his buddies is from Peru. So, I think that there is starting to be this interconnected network of non-surfers that watch and follow the WSL. And my... Now, these... This is a small focus group, two people. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I thought it was good news for the WSL folks to hear that. It
0: is because if they are only selling product to surfers, then they're never going to be right. We know that they want to stretch. You you have to obviously. So that's I think that's really cool. Um, Speaking of the Wright family and your family, I got to spend five days in Zion with my family up until this last Sunday. I have my little brothers awesome. and I went hiking all awesome. day, every day, running an Airbnb. The best
2: time of year to go there is oh this my time gosh. of year.
0: gosh. It was majestic.
2: I bet. Good. Did I you know. see the full moon when you were there? Yeah. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thanks, and good man. for the family.
0: Thanks, man. Nothing but family all the time. I've got two more things. Yes. Roger Hines literally five seconds ago posted this Instagram of my boards. Remember I told you he was building me two boards? Oh, that's cool. That both of those. The black one and the white one are both mine. So oh my! That's happening, a mere five miles from here, I'd say. Wow! Down in San, that looks Saint pretty Nanny, cool. The ghetto. He's doing that at this moment. Oh, cool! Social media is radical that we could see this live right. That
2: now. is cool. Right now, we're looking so at David's two new boards.
0: Just got finished being laminated.
2: I picked here. up three boards at the.
0: <laughs> no way! <laughs> at you bought them uh, off the floor.
2: Yeah, I got a new Andrini uh, Serena single fin. I got a Steve Coletta um, two plus one. Like round board, and I got a. Um, and Stu Kenson made me a new Twinser Rocketfish 510. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know what? I was, I thought, um, out of all the boards there, I want to hook up with Wayne Rich and get a board from Wayne. Rich. Oh, yes, you do. I know you have a few of them. Oh, yes, you do. Exciting. There's one in the back of my truck right now. I like the guy a lot. His boards look really radical. What I don't understand is how does he always have like this kind of five o'clock shadow every time I see won't it? Grow, <laughs> won't it grow either beyond that or you have to shave it at some point? How does it stay at the shadow phase? That's a
2: fascinating question. Actually, I've never thought of that. But I just he does, thought, it does, right? Yeah, and it's just, that's just, I don't know. That's just how it is. Does it not grow beyond I, the shadow? Good question. We he need never to, shaves it? We, I will have an answer for you at the next show. Maybe next time sets we sets
0: the razor to a certain setting where it just trims it at the five o'clock mark.
2: That could be the case.
0: All right, Scott. My kook of the week is Felicidad Rivera. (laughs) Kook of the week, Felicidad Rivera. That's right. Que onda? Do you know who that is? No. She is... The bookkeeper for Clay Marzo, who was recently indicted on 13 counts of wire fraud after allegedly stealing more than $400,000 from Clay Marzo and his mother. What a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Scott sums it up. All right. That's enough for today's show. We're out of here. What a complete um, bitch. So she pleaded not guilty during her arraignment on Monday in Honolulu. The bail was set at 50K. This She's story- in
2: jail on bail.
0: Did, Did she make bail? No, um, she's still in. She's behind bars. She's behind bars. She left Marzo. He lost his home. He's Clay Marzo twenty seven, by the way.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, he lost his home, his life savings, and has left thirty thousand dollars in debt. Oh man! So
2: that um, is not good.
0: Rory Parker broke this story on Beach Grit, and basically said that Rivera wrote herself 193 checks over the course of the last five years, totaling more than $330,000 and paid more than $75,000 of her own credit card charges from Clay Marzo's accounts in 87 transactions. Wow. uh, She did a good
2: job of kind of covering her trail, didn't she? Right.
0: So she's completely left Marzo ruined and in debt and, where do things go from here, Scott? When these sort of things happen, will he see restitution? If he does, when will he see it? How long must he go on without it? Like, oh, he's she, screwed. He's not getting crap. He's screwed. Yeah. Yeah. That's
2: just, that's just you know. Bummer. Yeah. that's Well, l- luckily, he's got his whole life ahead of him. He's 27.
0: Does crazy claybacks.
2: He does crazy claybacks.
0: Gets barreled.
2: And and he's, you know, life lesson learned and move forward.
0: All right, here's my question, final question. So that's the kook of the week. My final question to you, Scott, is... Yes. If you take Clay Marzo's most recent edit and you were able to surf like him on those waves, it's a finite experience, but you were able to ride those waves the way that he rode them. And that's filed away in your life's experiences bank or his 400k that got stolen from you. You get one or the other. What would you take? 400k. Would you really? Yeah. <laughs> how can you put I, the dollar I, value on life experience? You, he, did you see how it gets barreled I might be able, able to do, do that versus without. Versus I, can't, I can't.
2: I got a nice little head dip yesterday and run over by a guy. It's quite a life experience.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> no. that soul is for sale, folks. You no, you don't know what I'm going to do
2: there. with a 400k. I might Put roofs on homes in Haiti after the earth, oh, after the uh, storm.
0: How sweet. Scott tries
2: to recover. I, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> you mean you'd rather take the life experience of doing a couple laybacks and getting tubed? Heck no. I'm Over, taking the 400K. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Tax free.
0: Uh, my serving experience is already super rewarding. Me I would too. I'd love to get barreled like that, but dude, I don't need to. I. Uh, and maybe
2: I we will. But yeah. the 400K, we can just go rent a. Zone, yeah.
0: Get For, barreled. <laughs> that 400k money doesn't buy happiness. I know, but I think money buys there's an Association between the two, right? I know it's not like money an buys absolute groceries. direct correlation, but there's right. an association.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm already happy, Scott.
2: Yes, you are, and so, so am I. So I'll
0: take the cash. All, All
2: right, right, man. Okay. Well, until next time. Adios and aloha.
3: You'll always have smokes if you always give buckets of love. Like Little Sad who was living on Beatles and Grub. He had a blue eyed love and lived an Indian girl.
0: As you know, SurfSplendorPodcast.com is the website where you can find everything that Scott and I discussed in this show. At SurfSplendor is the Instagram handle. Give us a follow, tag a friend, grow that thing for us. I don't know what else I have to say. Uh, I think I've said enough. We're pushing two hours on this episode. Super-sized content today, folks. Two guest stars. Bless all the Scott and David you could handle. Jeez, Louise. Had to wait a couple extra days for it this week. It's Thursday rather than our normal Tuesday publication schedule. But look, you get a bonus 30 minutes out of it. So there you go. Uh, next week, I have Kyle Tierman on the show. Kyle, um, Santa Cruz surfer, activist, part of Patagonia's stable of uh, ambassadors. Kyle's done a lot of good work around the world. Um, wherever you go surfing, actually, he's gone to surf locations and bettered the local communities there. His first big claim to fame was shifting $300 million in assets from giant corporate banks to small local banks and credit unions. Um, and we get into that. You can actually, you should YouTube him. You could find, he did a Ted talk discussing that specific issue um he's done a couple of ted talks so really interesting kid he's like 26 years old surfs mavericks he's in the mavericks invitational this year so pretty serious surf uh legitimacy plus this really cool activist work that he's doing so great guest for next week look forward to that until then you know i am david scales your host of surf splendor encouraging you to get out in the ocean get a couple waves and shred on